Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's show is Zeneca, his second time on the podcast. Zeneca has become a great friend to me, and now he also holds a small amount of equity in Impeak and is one of our fantastic educators on the platform. We talked about NFT royalties and his involvement with the Blur marketplace. We also discussed the different options that Web3 businesses have in revenue generation and what the future holds for creators, holders, and marketplaces. Great to see you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling well. I'm good. Thanks for yeah. having me. Great to see you again. Yeah, good to be yeah. back. Yeah. And you're you're in Dubai now? No, I'm back in Munich. So I was there last week. Uh, I'm moving there and I was there to get my visa stuff sorted and look for apartments. And we will move permanently in January. But I'm back in Munich at the moment. Awesome. Uh, just so you know, I'm wearing this is because this is my I haven't brushed my hair. <laughs> FTX has gone down, you know. Yeah, that is fair. <laughs> There's just been so much, so much happening in the yeah in the markets that um. So as we are recording this, just so people know, this is the day after the announcement that FTX is potentially well, it's it's going down, it's and, and we yeah. don't know, right? Yeah, we don't know yet, right? We don't as as of the, now, we don't know yet whether what's going to happen. But Binance said they're walking away. Binance is walking away. I know that the. Justin Last I've heard, Justin Sun announced he, he's in talks with FTX, but uh, apparently it's really bad. Like the books mm -hmm. are, there's a, a massive hole. $8 billion is kind of the number that I'm hearing. And yeah, it's it doesn't look, the outlook is kind of bleak for most people that had funds on there, but uh, it's TBD just how bleak it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, and in the middle of all of this, so the reason why we were, we got together was because, um, uh, I went to, so basically what happened was that somebody bought one of our Genesis passes uh, and came into the community and I, I realized that um, he bought it without royalty and uh, he said that he bought it on Blur and I was like, I didn't know that Blur didn't honor royalties. I, uh, uh, you know, when you were talking about building Blur and, and or, or where you were advising, etc. Um, I didn't know that. So so I came into the Blur Discord and uh, asked them, is this true? Like, what's what's happening? What's the deal with this? Is this true? And I, fig I figured that basically that's the case and, um, and that you're trying to come up with other ways of um, incentivizing people, but obviously people are not incentivized, you know, no matter how much you try to. It's a game theory. It's simple mm. as that. It's game theory. You know, everybody tries to maximize their benefit. And, um, and then nobody benefits, you know, and, and the whole industry goes down. So, um, so, so first things first, maybe, um, you know, we can go into talking a little bit about Blur and uh, your involvement there. Um, and what was the thinking behind um, deciding not to uh, honor royalties, considering that you yourself built um, a business, you know, in the NFT space, in the bull market, um, at a time where things were good and you did get royalties, you know, and, and it feels um, pretty um, unfair for new people coming into the space and building, uh, you know, businesses, um, especially considering that we are in a bear market, it, things are tough as they are. So, yeah, so what was the thinking there? Uh, and, and, you know, we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, so let me, let me go to my involvement and introduction to Blur. So I first heard about them in, I think it was December last year, December 2021, uh, someone from Paradigm reached out and asked if I was interested in, in sort of angel investing in this new up and coming project. And I we, I was like, yeah, like, tell me more about it. Let's, let's hear. And I heard about what they were building sort of <laughs> ironically, the way that they described it, it was the FTX for, uh, NFTs, like <laughs> advanced trading platform, which I think now we will no longer be using that, but, uh, you know, even like the Binance for NFTs or just like, you know, this, this trading view version, because most NFT marketplaces, uh, prior to blur were very, uh, similar in their user interface. And they were very, uh, not quite designed for scale and they didn't have advanced uh features and analytics and, and things that that now we see more, more more places have and so i was like yeah great this sounds really interesting i'm i'm uh i heard a bit more about the team and i was like all right i'm happy to invest and so i did that in 
January. And then in April, uh, they reached uh, the person from Paradigm reached out again and said, Blur is sort of um, interested in talking to you because of a position that, that they're looking for someone to help with sort of growth and uh, advising on community matters and, and just bringing someone in uh, like that. And I said, um, I appreciate that. Thank you. But I'm not interested because I have my own projects and I don't like to align myself to any particular project or platform because uh, yeah, I'm just very careful and sensitive about my image and, and, and my brand and all that kind of stuff. And that was like, okay, that's, that's totally understand. And then like one or two days went by and then uh, this person from Paradigm, uh, Casey, she reached out again and, and she said, uh, you know, I, you know, I think you should really just take a call with the team. Uh, they're building something special and uh, you know, just, encouraged me to take a call. I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah. If, if you say that I'll, I'll take a call and, and see where we go from there. And so I had a call with Pac-Man, uh, one of the, the founder, co-founders of Blur and yeah, was just basically blown away by just how, uh, just how intelligent he was and, and how, uh, focused he was on building like uh, a really excellent product. He, he, he never once mentioned pr uh, profit or making money. It wasn't about that it was just about creating the best product and delivering the best service and he just saw a a, a gap in the market and said and and said hey uh we have a team we, we can build something we have engineers and we can create this product that, that will uh be better for the market and i was like all right this sounds really interesting and i heard more about the vision and and about my role and and how it would be sort of like this hybrid between like advisor and ambassador and uh it wouldn't be too too involved and it would just be a little bit of um time here and there. So I said, all right, this sounds interesting. And all right, let, let's chat more about it. And then Pac-Man said, yeah, we'd love to sort of get you onto the team. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a small team. I think it was like seven at the time. It's maybe seven to 10 now. And, uh, he's had a couple of other companies beforehand. And he said that one thing that he always likes to do is meet people in person before bringing them onto the team, because, you know, you can talk via text, you can have a video call, but it's not quite the same as, as meeting someone. And I said, I love that. That sounds great. And, uh, but he was in America and I was based in Europe. And actually at the time in April was traveling around Spain with Rachel and her mom, who was uh, over from Australia. And he was like, you know, you know, if you can just pick a day in whenever you are, tell me where you are, I'll fly in and meet you. And I was like, that's incredible. So he flew to the South of Spain one day and we had dinner together and yeah, it was just, you know, we, we got on really well and I could tell again, this was a really good person and someone I was happy to sort of work with and, and, uh, work alongside. So we, we, you know, drew up contracts and, and then I joined as chief Zen officer, which is obviously a made up title, but it's basically a hybrid between advisor and, and ambassador. And so that was April ish this year. I can't remember exactly when it was finalized, maybe May. And then, uh, you know, they were building kind of for many, many months uh, in private beta for a lot of months and like onboarding people into. So originally it was an aggregator. They didn't have their marketplace built yet. So it was kind of like Gem and Genie where, where you can go in and buy NFTs from, you know, because more marketplaces were popping up. It used to be just OpenSea and then we had LooksRare and then we had X2Y2 and then we had Pseudoswap. And uh, so first they built the aggregator, but the, the plan was always to build to be an aggregator plus a marketplace. And then, uh, yeah, they were getting a lot of good feedback as an aggregator and finally launched public uh, of the the marketplace plus aggregator. Um, I should know the exact date, but I think it was about a month ago, somewhere in the last four to six weeks, probably. And uh, yeah. That's good to know. Uh, so um, when you started getting involved with them, was it always the plan uh, to bypass royalties or did, did it just this decision uh, get taken later i don't think it was always the plan i think it was the plan to just look at what was happening in the market and and the discussion was several months long about what should the strategy and approach be when it comes to royalties and basically at the time of launch there were two marketplaces doing actually one marketplace doing optional royalties x2y2 and one marketplace doing zero royalties, Pseudoswap. And, and there's no avenue for royalties via Pseudoswap. And uh, they were sort of slowly increasing in market share. And so the decision was, well, do we, you know, how do we approach this? And the timeline of events is actually interesting because the first marketplace to bypass royalties was Pseudoswap. And this happened, I think, in June or July, maybe, or I don't know, time is so weird in this space, but a few months back. And uh, they weren't gaining that much 
volume. They were kind of a niche thing. You have to set up your own liquidity pools and not a lot of people were comfortable using it. But these aggregators were gaining popularity, you know, Gem and Genie. A lot of people were using them to sweep NFTs, to buy. Gas was cheaper. You could buy multiple at a time. And then at a certain point, uh, Gem added Pseudoswap to their marketplaces that they aggregated. And all of a sudden now, people had a lot more visibility to buying NFTs through Pseudoswap and, and bypassing royalties that way. And... Uh, and then after that happened, and they and Pseudoswap started gaining market share. X2Y2 then came out and said, you know, well, if this is happening, we're going to move to optional royalties. And uh, but the interesting part, I think, is the fact that Gem decided to add Pseudoswap to their aggregate, and Gem is owned by OpenSea. So it's an interesting decision that they made to sort of aggregate. Well, first of all, to buy Gem, that I think that was a smart move. But then to aggregate a competitor that doesn't honor royalties is an interesting thing. It, it sort of, I think, began this domino effect where Pseudoswap started and then X2Y2 started and then uh, Blur was coming along and trying to decide what what model to take and came up with the idea of incentivized royalties where the, the thinking was that, well, people have the option to use a marketplace like Pseudoswap or X2Y2 already and a lot of people are using them. And so the people that don't want to pay royalties can already not pay royalties. And, and that was already happening. And so that by incentivizing royalties, by uh, allocating the, I mean, Blur is doing an airdrop and, and the, the model is that anyone that pays, uh, the more royalties you pay, uh, the larger allocation of the airdrop you'll get. And, and starting with full royalties, getting by far the most significant allocation and zero royalties getting the, by far the least allocation. And uh, that was kind of the thinking behind it. And, and just to, Put it out to the market and see what would happen and, and see how how much people would pay in royalties and in comparison to xdy2 and pseudo people are paying more royalties in the zero marketplaces but compared to OpenSea, of course people are paying less royalties because some people are opting not to pay uh, full royalties so that was kind of the thinking behind it and and, and i guess to, to take it one step further uh when the blur token actually drops so like the the, the airdrop and and the the incentives are uh in advance of the uh, the drop that is happening in January, and it will be a governance token. And the thinking was that the the, the allocation will be like the, the people that will have the largest percentage of the token that can decide uh, the path forward with respect to royalties and things like that will be those that have paid royalties. And yeah, that that was kind of the thinking behind it all. And uh, yeah, so um, basically, it's a business decision, right? That uh, for for Blur to think okay now uh, we have to do this to get market share um and they didn't really think about the creators at that point because the the airdrop thing as you see it's not it's not a big enough incentive for people to do it um and, and most people aren't you know uh, aren't doing it um and the business model um yes it, it works for them so that they get market share but the domino effect of that is that it's changing uh, the premise of what NFTs were supposed to be. Uh, and, and, you know, many, many people came into the space and they uh, allowed a very uh, low, cheap, um, you know, mint price to get people in. Um, and then they thought, okay, as we create value and the value of this token goes up, we get a little bit of a kickback. And, um, and that was like the premise of it, right? And when you think about it, like, um, our token, uh, our, our um, Genesis token, you know, we made only 20 ETH on that because uh, we had 200 people that minted that, you know, uh, the rest of the people got it, for, you know, airdropped for free because they were either they were previous premium members or, you know, we did scholarships and things like that. So so we only made 20 ETH on that uh, for point, uh, point 0.1. Now the price of the token is about 2 ETH. And basically people who minted and they are um, you know they are making money off uh, you know some some people minted or bought very early when it was still very very low so they are basically making more money than the company you know basically the traders are making more money than us on those tokens and i have to pay 12 people right and and i appreciate that for all the people who say 
oh, you know, royalties shouldn't be a business model. It's not about them being a business model. It's that they were supposed to be one of the revenue streams. You know, a company needs to have several revenue streams. So by doing this and and, um, all these different, um, uh, you know, marketplaces that are not honoring what was supposed to be the premise of NFTs, um, what they're basically doing, the, the, the game theory of it is that, you know, everybody wants to win um, and ev- and then nobody wins. That's basically what will happen. So what will happen is that moving forward, uh, you know, NFT, there's not going to be as many NFTs to trade because people will be like, why should I do that? The mint prices will be higher. You know, there will be a lot more rug pulls because a lot of people are going to think, you know what, if you're not paying royalty, why should I continue? I was, I had Kevin Rose on the podcast, uh, which came out, um, was it yesterday, the day before yesterday, where, where he basically said, he said he's talking to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of founders who are telling him that they are, they're going to pull back. They're going to pull back and they're going to stop, you know, delivering on their projects. So people are going to do a soft rock. So many communities, so many, you know, um, uh, of these projects are going to do a soft, soft rock. And, um, and uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of communities right now that are thinking, why, why should I have a Discord? Discord itself is so much work. You know, you're, you're having to hire more people. Since we have had our Mint, we've had uh, to hire a Discord security, a Discord, you know, manager. Uh, like, so uh, there are so many new people that have hired since just having the Discord thing, right? So that's like several ETH per month that I'm spending that I could be not spending. I could say like, it's just a platform. It's just the content. There's no community. You know, why should I pay all of this if, if people are not going to um, honor uh, royalties? So um, so I'd love to hear your uh, your answer to that and the uh, knock-on effect on the, commu- you know, on the whole NFT space as a whole. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I agree and 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 recognize and and know that so many people got into NFTs because of the the prospect of perpetual royalties. I myself, it was like a huge draw. I heard about it. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. Like people can get royalties forever. It's like this part of this technology, these smart contracts. That's amazing. And then I think when we were launching Zen Academy and I was talking to developers and they were telling me about the and they were like, you actually can't enforce them and i was like wait what like uh, i thought that was the whole point it's this it was almost like this dirty little secret in the space where everyone just assumed that royalties were enforceable at a technical level and and the reality is that it's very difficult to do that with the way that the erc 721 standard works and the way the contracts work and it is marketplaces enforcing them and so that was the first time that i was like huh that that's interesting and and unusual and i think that uh ever since then i've sort of had a perspective that you know perhaps there will be a future where royalties aren't the model going forward and as a it's also so royalties to me seem to sort of misalign incentives a little bit for various projects and i think it's important to distinguish say artists and and artists releasing one of one art and smaller collections versus businesses releasing hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of NFTs and and employing people and, and using royalties as a revenue model versus an artist who is just a creator and, and is rewarded if their work is appreciated and valued more in the future. And to my mind, the initial idea of royalties was for art with artists in mind. If you go back and look at um, the history and the precedent of this, that there are you know, countries passed laws, you know, 10 plus years ago to uh, ensure that artists could get their royalties. And uh, I think in 2018 or 2019, there was an open letter from some of the the OG NFT artists, uh, Matt Kane and, and the marketplace is saying, you know, we want to fight for a 10% creative royalty for artists because, you know, this is, this is uh, what this technology can enhance and enable and allow for a better future. And so it was with that in mind, and I think with artists in mind, that royalties were sort of became a thing. And, and I mean, even if you look at the 10K collections, all of most of the, what we talk about these days is sort of inspired by CryptoPunks and CryptoPunks have no royalties. So they took a, a different model and somewhere along the way, someone decided to implement royalties for these larger collections. And to me, it is uh, a little of a misalignment of incentives because the project founder or the, the project team profits and they generate revenue when people sell their token and when people leave the community, when there's high volume and high turnover. And it doesn't incentivize 
building a strong community of holders, it incentivizes people selling their token. And I think, I mean, going back to Kevin Rose and Moonbirds, they identified this at the beginning. And that's kind of why they came up with a nesting idea because they wanted to like reward people that held rather than incentivized people to flip. And you see this all the time where a collection has volatility and, you know, the floor price is going up. Sometimes the floor price is going down. Uh, you know, some, maybe some really bad news comes out. Like the, a, a big example is uh, Azuki. When when the news dropped that the founder Zagabond had sort of rugged two previous projects and was now doing the tons of people were selling Azuki. There was so much volume, and they were still making millions of dollars off of it. And it, it sort of doesn't make sense that I mean, if a project does rug and you want to sell it, and then the founders are still making money, that that just doesn't quite make sense to me. And so I think th- th- there's a bit of a flaw in in how royalties have been perceived to date and even for artists i think that uh in my mind the the general uh idea behind royalties was say an artist sells something for a hundred dollars five hundred dollars twenty dollars and then a few years later that piece goes and sells for fifty thousand dollars a million dollars uh it's not really fair that all of that money goes to the the secondary creator and the artist gets none of it. And so royalties are a way for that initial, original artist to receive some of the financial upside if their work increases in value. And that's great. And I think that that is something we should fight for to the death and, and you know tooth and nail to make sure that uh, royalties are a cultural and social contract that remain forever. And I think that that is royalties for artists on on profitable sales. And I think that is a, a key word as well when it comes to profitable sales. It, it doesn't quite make sense that if you if someone buys something, then it goes down in value and then you sell it and then uh, a royalty is taken on that. It, it, to me, it doesn't quite align incentives again. And and it's I, I would like to see ideas and innovation around the idea of royalties paid on profit rather than just on I agree initial with that. sale price. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, especially, I think we had this conversation before that it's like sometimes, um, uh, you know, some projects actually manipulate the news. Exactly. Or they're yeah. right to, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, I, I agree with that, but, but I disagree with the fact that royalties should be paid only to artists because with startups, let's say, for example, with our Genesis Pass, you get access to so much, but because we were in a um, bear market, I didn't price it up. You know, we kept the price really low. Um, so it makes sense that as the value of that pass goes up, that as new people buy it, that we get a little bit of a, you know, a, a return on that. So because I can see that the value of that pass, because of the uh, all the things that people get when, when they um, buy that, that it can be 10 ETH, it can be 20 ETH. And it doesn't, it's not fair for us to, and it's never gone down, you know, like it's basically been going up, you know? So so it makes sense that uh, I'm totally for it. I think if somebody is selling at, at a loss, yeah, okay, don't pay royalty. But, but I have been in a position where I've never created a loss for anybody. You know, I can't imagine, you know, like the way we are built, we are building slowly, steadily, and we are never going to have massive sales. We are never going to have a massive volume. But even if it's just like 100 uh, ETH volume, that's 10 ETH that goes back to, you know, pay, you know, my staff. And and with the, with the type of business models, it does de- depend on the type of the business models. But with a lot of startups, you start with a low price because you want to get people's attention to say, give them like an entry point. And, and then as you deliver, the value of that thing goes up. So one thing that we are going to do right now, we actually were going to uh, um, have our Gen 2 drop. Uh, we were going to do 10K uh, and do it in small segments, like do 500 at a time. But actually, we're not doing that now. We are, because of all the stuff that's happening, we are, we are basically capping it at 1,200. And even with the 1,200, uh, we are keeping 500 in the treasury. We will decide later on what we will do with it. And um, we may or may not ever release it. And uh, we are moving to soulbound tokens. So from uh, 1st of December, you know, we, or first week of December, we're going to release our soulbound tokens. And it's going to be, because especially for us being an educational platform, you know, the people who already bought the tradable tokens, they're welcome to obviously trade it and, and do whatever they want with it. 
you know, the value of that will continue to go up because more as more people that buy the soulbound tokens, they will discover those other tokens and they will be like, you know, there will be some perks for those that people may want to buy that for that reason. But we are moving to soulbound tokens because um, it's just not sustainable the way that uh, that things are going. I do still think that royalties should be honored uh, when uh, when something is, you know, uh, bought. Um, not at a, you know, when somebody isn't selling at a loss, right? Uh, you know, because I know, you know, there's been people within the proof ecosystem itself that have bought my um, token for one ETH, sorry, for, for 0.1 ETH, and they sold it for one and a half ETH. That's 15 times profit that I don't see, you know, if if the royalty isn't, isn't um, and, and that profit has come as a result of my hard work. You know, like they've not, they've done nothing. They've literally just held the token for, you know, a very small um, uh, investment. And I have gone out there and built uh, built something that made that the value of that token go up, which actually then also brings this question of securities, you know, because it's like, if you are, you're basically profiting of someone else's hard work and you're not paying royalty, you know, like then, then maybe that the whole NFT space needs a revamp and we need to re- rethink this model because, um, you know, because with the, the royalties, thing, yeah. with the royalties, there was that, there was that kind of like some level of bringing synergy and like bringing back some of that into the company. But if there is no royalty, then that should be a security. Because essentially, basically, you are you're literally, you know, waiting for someone else's hard work for the value of that token to go up, and then you sell it at a profit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not, I, I don't want to speculate on, on the legal side of it too much, but on the the previous point, I think there should be a revamp, and I think that there's basically been a a sort of almost a fundamental misunderstanding of of business models and and with respect to royalties and alignment of incentives for projects when it comes to this kind of thing and you mentioned your your withholding supply and i think that is an excellent way to sort of uh allow if the if the price of the token goes up then you should be able to be rewarded and and profit and and generate revenue off that but it doesn't make sense that it only happens when someone sells a token because ideally no one sells a token you want everyone to hold the token right so you don't like it doesn't make sense for royalties to be like a primary revenue model because then you're definitely like, not you're, primary you're definitely not primary but yeah. they should be they should remain uh one of the revenue models because even if you yes you're not you know you don't want anyone to leave but people buy two tokens because they want to invest and you know, sell one of them later on, you know, like we have quite a lot of people uh, who have, who have done that because they see how hard I work and they're like, this project is going to go somewhere. So they bought several tokens when it was cheap and they want to benefit from it. Right. So when they do profit from it, it makes sense that a small amount of it comes back. And I think it's also a matter of principle because this was what was the the premise of NFTs. And, and it's, I think, I wonder if you would have had a different perspective if you were building your, um, you know, your project now in the bear market with nothing, right? Whereas you built it in the bull market, you did pro- profit from the royalties, and now you know it's kind of like unfair for somebody who has already had that to make that uh, kind of call for for other businesses um i i think you know that the 10 percent royalty i do agree that i don't like it when people sell at a loss if, if even if it was my token if somebody bought my t- token and they had to sell at a loss because i did something that made the profit you know the, the you know i did something that made them uh, the value of that token to go down, then uh, I, fair enough. You know, I want them not to pay uh, a royalty. I don't know uh, what the solution is, but I think the solution is not to just cut it completely. Uh, you know, and, and um, definitely um, there's uh, a lot of opportunities for marketplaces and um, you know for for new so, uh, to come up with new solutions and. Uh, yeah, and I just um, just wanted to uh, kind of like see where you stand on this uh, and whether you guys are doing anything uh, about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what we're beginning to see is sort of a, a fork in the road between uh, 
NFTs that a person has true ownership over and NFTs that are centralized and permissioned. Permissionless NFTs and permissioned NFTs, I think. And so you can enforce royalties if you introduce more centralization into the, the process. And for many projects, that is going to make a lot of sense. For some marketplaces, that might, might make sense. But for others, some people really, they don't like the idea of owning something that they don't have full ownership over and, and don't have full autonomy over. And that, that's kind of at the heart of crypto ethos and, and uh, blockchain ethos uh, and culture. So I think that what we're going to see is basically a divergence where now we'll have kind of two types of NFTs where some are uh, ones that rely on uh, royalties being paid and and the expectation and maybe that at a contract level, they'll be restricted to only be able to be trade on, uh, say, OpenSea. And then, you know, at the time of buying, the person buying it understands what they're buying. They're like, I'm buying this NFT. I understand that it is not... Uh, it's not true ownership. It is something that is locked into an ecosystem and uh, that is fine. And that's totally fine. Like we, there's nothing at all wrong with that. And then there are other people that will be like, I, I prefer to have full ownership over it. And I want to be part and own from a project that uh, doesn't place those restrictions and, and allows us to trade on sort of a free market. And then there'll be people that will go down that route. And I think we're starting to see that divergence now and creators really need to make a creators are at a really interesting point and myself included like at zen academy we have some upcoming new nfts entering our ecosystem and thinking about how we approach royalties is is a huge topic on my mind and is trying to think about do we go the route of uh more of the permissioned nfts or do we go the route of, of pure decentralization and uh i haven't really made up a mind yet my mind yet and, and decided but it's uh it's constantly evolving and i think that it's it's something that any creator uh, needs to be thinking really hard about because this is something that is uh, th there are things that you can do to sort of uh, set yourself up in the future, such as withholding supply uh, as a really good or another really good model is if if you're doing some sort of subscription based thing, uh, some sort of membership based thing, do it subscription based rather than lifetime. And you know, yeah, make that's it what so we're that... doing. So with our NFTs, exactly. it's going so it will be valid for one year from when it's minted. Uh, and then yeah. after one year, you have the option of renewing it. So we will teach people how to do it on Etherscan. They can just do it on Etherscan directly and they can renew it if they want. Yeah. No, I think that's really great as well. And I think that so it's good to see like new models and ideas being innovated because uh, yeah. I, I'm just not convinced that. Uh, royalties are a sustainable model. Like if you look at uh, economic systems and, and structures throughout history, uh, fees tend to trend to zero and, and any sort of tax on liquidity, like for instance, a uh, marketplace fees, look at what happened with Robinhood and, and uh, regular uh, stock trading investing markets and fees generally tend to trade to zero. And I think that uh, in an open free market, that is generally what happens. And uh, I think that that will happen for the NFT space as well, for the most part. Uh, I, I always go back to Beeple. Beeple said it best to me, where you can't enforce royalties on-chain without significant trade-offs. So the only way to ensure royalties get paid is to make people want to pay their royalties. And how can you do that? As an artist, you 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 know, you know have collectors that want to support you. And I think that this is a cultural thing that is really strong in the NFT space. And like I myself will always pay royalties for artists. I think most people I know who are collectors will always pay royalties for artists because we believe in that and we want to support artists. It becomes a little more hairy when you look at these larger collections that are running things as a business, especially when there's high volatility, when maybe you don't agree with the decisions that the project is made and maybe they're rugging. It's all sorts of, it gets very complicated then. Uh, but even then, I think, you know, at the time of purchase, if you agree to terms and conditions that say, well, then you should be paying your royalties. That is something that you agreed to and that is totally fine. But I think that we will begin to see more collections uh, opt to forego royalties and perhaps bake in different revenue models and, and just see how that evolves and works. And I'm just really curious to see how the space grows from here. So you haven't decided yet what you're going to do with your PFP in terms of royalty? Haven't decided yet. Looking no. at it. Okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking yeah. that, you know, we are going to build with this. Um, oh, I mean, it's just the, the thought at the moment, you know, I have to see where the market goes, but that we, we keep building with this, um, uh, you know, subscription model. And once our the, the community gets to a certain size, 
then we may have a PFB that signifies our community. But uh, that PFB will may have to be if if the royalty meta at the time depends on what it is, you know, if it is that most people don't want to um, pay royalties, then we make it zero royalty to begin with and uh, and then just have a slightly higher mint price. Yeah, no, I think that's very reasonable. And I think a lot of people are exploring that as well. The thing that I, I, I uh, yeah, the thing is most difficult is for people that have maybe existing collections and, and planned a future based on royalty income and expectations of that because of uh, everything that we were told. <laughs> Basically, again, like when I came in, I thought royalties were this enforceable on-chain perpetual forever thing and and then it's like uh, now we've almost been like rug pulled by the entire space where it's like oh actually that's not how royalties work and so it, it puts a lot of projects in difficult positions and i think that uh if i mean th there are obviously like ways to, to move forward you can you can wrap your tokens you can move on to a new contract you can release new tokens you can build other revenue models but it's uh it really puts a lot of founders in difficult positions and uh, i yeah, I, I just hope that we can come up with innovative solutions. And, and the end, end goal is just to move the space forward and, and come up with better models. And I'm just not not yet convinced that uh, royalties that incentivize vol volume and volatility and, and trading are, are the best models for projects because I think models that incentivize uh, holding and, and strengthening a community and, and less turnover of members, I think that is what we should be striving for regardless of if you're a membership club if you're a pfp project again you the ideal pfp project has ten thousand unique holders that all have their nft and they never want to sell because the community is amazing and and not one that has thousands of members that are like waiting for the next announcement and if it's good then they'll buy and if it's bad then they'll sell and then the it's just and 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 it's really easy for project founders like as ethical as you can be and as, as moral as you can be uh it's really tempting to be like, well, I'm just going to tease this thing because that will make this floor price go up. And then we're going to announce this then and you know, different projects do it to a different extent. And I, I've even heard of founders intentionally releasing bad news to make the floor price go down in anticipation of then releasing good news because then it'll go up. And they're like, well, it'll create a lot of volume and that's good for us because it'll get us. And I, I just feel like those tactics are really shady and unethical and bad for the space and royalties encourage them. I do agree with you 100%, but um, one of the metrics that makes a project stand out is the trading volume. So we have, uh, you know, like you're building, think about Blur, right? You are literally building something that encourages uh, trading. Um, and and I think that in general, I think trading is quite bad for the business, for, the, for this space, for businesses especially. Um, I actually don't like, like for example, with our, uh, with our Gen 2, we had a uh, an application process and I was like, we literally asked people, do you want to buy this because you want to participate in the community, right? And I thought we are going to have 100%, you know, unique user base, right? People lie. People lie. Like they, they just write you an essay and it was like people would buy this thing for 0.08 and it was literally half an hour later, it was, you know, listed for 0.3, right? You know, and, and it's like, what part of this application did you not understand, right? Like, um, you know, and, and then what do I do? I, so what, because I don't want people to do that, right? Like, I'm like, you're not the right people to be in our community. So then I go and buy it off the floor. So I just, I had so many sweeps. I just buy these off the floor and then I give them away as uh, scholarships. You know, so I look at, you know, like then I go into communities and I find people that, that I'm like, you're a really good person. Let me give you a free token coming to our community. You know, so like literally, I'm like literally losing money on this constantly, buying it off the floor and giving it to people who are, who really are, you know, who should be in our community. Why do we do that? And that's how, you know, that initially I had to do the same thing for our, um, uh, for the Genesis Pass as well. It's just because it's so hard to find people who really want to be there just because they want to learn and educate and which is what we offer no they, they don't see that they all they see is that oh their genesis pass plot, uh, price is high you know so she's doing something that is making this price go up which is basically delivering day in and day out every day 16 hours a day you know like building a real um uh, educational platform 
but there, but there are people who want to profit off that, who just don't care about your, you know, your community. So, so it's actually really hard because of the, the, um, you know, the way that these um, uh, people have been uh, conditioned to just uh, get the dopamine hit of, you know, just like, like that, that small profit, no matter what it is, they, they don't even care about the project. Um, so I actually hate trading in some ways, you know, because I think it's so bad for the business. It's so hard. That's why I'm moving to Soulbound Talks. It's so hard. You know, when, when we build a big enough community that of people who really care about what we do because they're buying Soulbound Tokens, they want to be there to learn, then I could reward them with a PFP and say, you know what, eat your heart out, go, go trade it as much as you want. You know, like we are not relying on that anymore. Right. Um, but it, it, it's so hard to build a business with tradable NFTs and it's just really hard to scale it. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think the reality is that like 90 plus percent of this space is made up of people just trying to make money. And like, I think if most people are being honest, the reason that they enter crypto in the first place is to make money. People look at it as a way for financial freedom or for opportunity. And, uh, you know, there, there's certainly a, a, a subset of people that are exceptions and they, they come for other reasons. But most people I've spoken to and myself included, I first heard about it because I had friends that were making money and I was like, well, maybe I can, you know, take some of my skills from poker to learn how to trade or to, to buy and, and invest and, 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 and profit. And, and it becomes this ecosystem where that becomes a main driver of of the volume and activity and it is really difficult for projects to sort of uh differentiate themselves from that i i think that like trading is is different for different types of collections when it comes to membership collections it's it's very clearly different to say a pfp project or a collectible where you know there's a lot of legitimate trading that happens because someone gets a pfp that just doesn't have traits that they like and and like someone's like oh i'd really like if i i would really love pur I, I love purple i like if there's a collection and then there's pfps that are purple and there's ones that are not i'm like i might sell mine and then go buy one that's purple or i might trade with someone and, and i think that there's a lot of legitimate trading that happens in because you know these are pfp projects they're like this hybrid between they're part membership club but then they're also part art and part collectible with rarities and it, it's this massive mishmash of things where it's really difficult to uh match expectations of everyone in the community and align incentives well because there's thousands and thousands of individuals with different goals and ideas and some people are there just to flip some people are there for the art some people are there to collect some people want to put together a whole set of you know you've seen this with the art blocks friendship bracelets recently there there's 40 something 46 49 color palettes and some people this is a free airdrop but some people really like the collectability and then love the art and they just collect all of them other people are there just to trade and flip them and, and you know the, the, it's different approaches and different strokes for different folks and i think that uh it's just a it's it's <laughs> it's really tough for project founders in this space and it is uh i mean it's tough for everyone it's it's a minefield to navigate but uh yeah i think it can often feel like you have the, the weight of the world on your shoulders when you have uh, staff on payroll and you have expenses coming in and you have um, a, a tumultuous market where aside from the volatility of, of the price of ETH and of of the, the total overall volume of NFTs, you have um, uncertainty in uh, revenue models such as royalties, you, you have uncertainty in the technology in, in, of contracts in, in, in various instances, you have uncertainty of there's which chain is going to be the most relevant like there's there's we're very specifically talking about eth but you know there's people who are building on solana or tezos or cardano or uh layer twos and they have all of this but then they also have the additional risk of you know what if solana is no longer a relevant blockchain and so that's additional stress it's just yeah i i've spoken to like hundreds of founders over the last year i advise a lot and, and there's a lot in the 333 and i hear all, a lot and it's basically uh I think most people underestimate how uh, complicated and tricky it can be to navigate the space as a founder. And you're doing everything. A lot of it is in public and you're scrutinized and you have hundreds, if not thousands of people who have a voice and have a say, and they all have different expectations. So I think it's it's really tough. I, I would caution anyone um, before just launching a project to realize what they're getting themselves into, especially if they have a conscious and, and a code of ethics. Like it's great. It's very easy to rug a project and to just disappear and, and, and take those money. But if you're trying to build something and do it right, uh, it, it's very easy to get weighed down. And if, if you're sort of an empathetic type person and you want to do right by people, you find yourself in a lot of sort of impossible, no win situations. And 
yeah, I'm not not to scare people off. It is it's wonderful and there's tremendous opportunities, but just be aware of what you're getting yourself in for, basically. I agree. And it, it, and it's like, as a founder, at the end of the day, you're alone. You're by yourself, you know? Like, everybody else walks away with... Um, even the staff, uh, team members, you know, like, they eventually they all have a break. They go home. They, you know, they switch up. You're there. You're there all the time, right? So if you are actually building something. So it's a, it's a very tough um, place to be. Uh, and it's constantly evolving and, you know, you just, and sometimes, you know, people will be looking at it from outside and thinking, why is she changing all the time? Why is she constantly changing? You know, like we've had so many changes since we launched, we had, um, different plans that we, uh, tried them in different ways. And, and, uh, we then were like, okay, we get, we're going to do 10 K now we're going to do 2 K then we're going to do 12 K uh, 1200. Then we are not going to uh, release 500 of it. We are moving to, um, you know, so bound tokens, this constant changes because there's like every day I wake up in the morning and there's like the whole world has fallen apart and it, it's like something new has happened. And like, you know, uh, OpenSea has uh, posted a tweet and, uh, you know, Sam Bankman free is like, you know, rock all of us. What a week. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Crazy. Well, this has been great talking to you always. You know, I knew that, um, you know, when the blur thing happened, I was like, I was quite angry uh, that day. And I, I posted uh, on, <laughs> you probably saw my tweet that was like, anybody who doesn't pay our, uh, you know, royalty that, that I'm going to ban that token. I still don't know what to do with that. You know, it's like, if somebody buys my token and they didn't know or they didn't pay attention or they, they didn't, uh, you know, it's not up to them. It's the seller, right? That that mm -hmm. sold without royalty. Um, do I really want to punish that person and say, now you have to pay royalty after coming in? Because we talked about this initially when we were like, what's the solution? Um, do we really want to leave a bad uh, you know, uh, taste in that person's mm -hmm. mouth just before even they came, came to the community. So it happened. And the, the person said, you know, I'm happy to pay royalty now. If she, uh, was your wallet? Let me send. I was like, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You didn't, you know, it's not your fault, you know, but, but if I, if I keep saying, no, it's okay, it's okay. You know, what am I like, what's, um, what am I going to, um, uh, to do? So I guess I just have to forget that, you know, that there is that part of a uh, thing that was, you know, I, I'm still going to be strict about it, say buy on OpenSea, you know, even if it's just a small amount. There are a lot of options. I think uh, one idea I've, I've had floated around a lot is uh, maybe if, if it is a utility-based token, then you reserve some of the utility or you make it so that that is only for people who have bought a token that paid royalties. And, but yeah, like you said, I think, I think marketplaces should do a better job of um, identifying which NFTs have uh like the seller has elected to include royalties in the sale price and which ones they haven't. I know at Blur, we're going to be including that feature very soon. It, it might already be up, but sometime in the, in the near future, just to give buyers more awareness of what they're yeah. buying. And so that they I think can... that's really helpful because yeah. especially if the, the buyer knows that royalty matters to that community. Exactly. Exactly. You know, then it's so... like, it, uh, please be aware that by, by buying this token, you are, um, you're bypassing royalty. And this community does, and you know what? What would be good is if there was a place where, um, as a creator, I could go in and say that this really matters to me, and and if the pe people buy this without royalty, I will not give them, you know, the the benefits. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, that's a really good idea as well. It's it, it's a really tough line to straddle between creating something that's um, for a decentralized, free, open market, as well as creating something that is uh, for permissioned NFTs that have utility. And it's, yeah, but I think, uh, I mean, we're all trying to navigate this, yeah. this space as it is. Uh, I'm curious, I know, uh, I'm curious to see how things evolve with OpenSea. I know that they've yeah. announced that they will honor royalties for existing collections, but for new collections, they will only honor royalties if they've included this code snippet that. Which means that they're going to, um, ban that that collection is going to ban being traded in for example blair there's a few different models there's the ban list where you you restrict marketplaces uh gordon goner from uh, yuga labs uh released i don't know if you saw it a, a substack letter yesterday with a different proposal and it was sort of like the reverse where it's an allow list where you you include marketplaces that you can trade on um and allow 
peer-to-peer transfers, but not interaction with other marketplaces. And that proposal was, again, uh, I liked it more because uh, the idea was for the, the, the OpenSea proposal is that OpenSea dictates which where you can sell your your token or that they recommend to ban competitors and it's like a lot of centralized power whereas the the gordon goner uh proposal was that there would be some sort of decentralized governing community body that would monitor this list and it would, it's just a little less uh power in the hands of one centralized entity uh but very similar results where you know as a project founder you can include code into your contract that says you know we'll only allow trading on marketplaces that will honor the royalties for this collection and stuff like that so uh i think and and there was another thing uh that came out god in the last like 12 hours i'm still just catching up with i think uh one of the animoca brand yeah it was either animoca or or, or someone that works at animoca they've released a set of nft licenses so like these are legal terms and conditions now where uh, the requirement to play, pay royalties is part of the, the sale term and it puts the onus back on marketplaces to enforce the royalties because then they're legally liable. And I think that that is another interesting innovation forward. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we exist in this decentralized online on-chain world, but we also exist in as citizens of countries that have laws and we have to adhere to that and marketplaces have to adhere to that and founders have to adhere to that and, and individuals have to adhere to the laws. And so if at the time of selling an NFT, uh, there's terms and conditions that say, you know, there is a royalty required to pay. And I know some projects have this. I think V friends do. I'm fairly certain that Artifact uh, Clonex do. Uh, because you know Nike baked it in, and, and other collections have that. Uh, then you have some sort of recourse and and some sort of ability to say, well, you you knew what you were buying, and you made this agreement, you entered in this agreement. The part of the 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 terms and conditions are to pay royalties, and maybe that will incentivize uh, marketplaces to honor them. And and you know, just yeah, th- there's a lot of people are just think- experimenting with a lot of different things. I'm not sure what will work and what won't, but it's really good to see. I think a lot of collections are also going to, uh, you know, revisit their terms and conditions and correct that because mm. if they didn't put it in, it's because they thought that it was going to be there, right. you know, anyway, right? Um, all right. Well, this has been great talking to you as always. You know, we have you back on the platform soon. Uh, you're doing yeah. a session on uh, people are really looking forward to it on um, how to build your audience in the space. And keep us posted with what happens with Blur. I wonder if they will uh, also like think of new ways. I mean, yeah, it will be interesting to see how how things develop there. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely keep you posted. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Zeneca. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and join his fantastic sessions on Impeak. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.